Speaking of a hectic season, I opened up my cabinet underneath my sink two days ago, and it was like an explosion of mud was everywhere. The, one of the rings for my garbage disposal had disintegrated. And I don't know how long it had been like that, but it was just shooting old, nasty stuff all over the place. So, exactly what I wanted to do on a Friday afternoon, I decided I needed to fix my garbage disposal. And I want to tell you something happened. A miracle. A miracle took place on that day. I went to Lowe's once. <laughs> One time. I got the right part. It worked. And 15 minutes after I got home, it worked. I'm afraid to use it, <laughs> but it worked. You know, when we go through this kind of season, we need some miracles. We need some things to go right. Because there's so many things that are going wrong. And when you hit the Christmas season in particular, there's like this expectation, and I think rightfully so, we want a beautiful Christmas. We want time with family. We want time to sing Christmas carols. And we want to go see lights. I mean, all of these things. But the hecticness or the exploding garbage disposals don't stop. How do we have peace in a season like this? That's what we're talking about for all four weeks. How do we have peace in this season? And really, hopefully, in every season of our life. So this morning, I invite you, open to Luke chapter 1. We're going to continue in Luke 1 with the story of Mary. And I want to spend some time here right now just kind of telling the story and then really focusing on her response at the end. There's a lot of things that happen in this account that would cause Mary anxiety. And I would imagine we can relate to at least parts of it. Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, and that's a reference to Elizabeth, she's been pregnant six months, the angel Gabriel, same angel that came to Zechariah, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And it has to be specified because Nazareth is a really tiny town. It's a little village. At most, there may be 20 homes in the entire village. Little tiny remote village to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. A lot of information there. Notice virgin is mentioned twice because it's hugely significant for this story. So little girl, she's probably 12 to 15, somewhere in there. She's betrothed. She's a virgin, which is good. That's what she should be when she's betrothed. She's not married yet. She lives in this little tiny village. She's a nobody. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. In verse 29, But she was greatly troubled 
That Greek term means confused or perplexed. She is going, what? Why are you here? Did you get the wrong address? Did you get the wrong village? I mean, you shouldn't, what is happening? She's confused, she's perplexed. And tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. She's actually trying to figure it out. This discerning is a, golly, what's happening? You just, did you just call me that? Like, why would you call me that? And you can imagine the things going through her head as this 12 to 15-year-old peasant girl. There's an angel here who's just said, you're favored. And she is trying to figure it out. The angel, verse 30, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be frightened. Now, amidst her being confused and trying to figure out, you can imagine if an angel shows up to you, and typically in scriptures, they're glowing. Like, this is not just like a person. This is like some angelic being just showed up in your living room. And he's like, don't be frightened. It is okay. He's trying to calm her. And he begins to say to her, Mary, you found favor with God. I am here because God has looked upon you and wants to extend his favor to you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. I mean, there's so many weird things happening right now with her. Number one, you mentioned twice already in Luke, virgin, virgin. So you're gonna conceive and have a son. Not sure that's gonna happen. Your son's gonna be great and be called the Son of the Most High. It's just increasing. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Wait, he's also the Davidic king that they've been waiting for. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, and he's the Messiah. I don't know how this is supposed to calm Mary. <laughs> I mean, he just laid on all this stuff out. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we looked at Zechariah last week. If you compare the story of Zechariah and you compare the story of Mary, you would see a number of parallels. The angel, the announcement, the being frightened, the do not be afraid. I mean, all of these things. And even this thing, Zechariah says, how is this going to happen? And the angel gets offended the angel stands up tall and says, I am Gabriel. How dare you challenge this? God can do this. And then here comes Mary. And Mary says, how will this be? But the angel does not stand up to his full height and go, I am Gabriel. How dare you challenge this? Instead, he begins to go, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. He just answers her. What in the world is the difference? And I would argue the difference is this. Zachariah's question was a question of how in the world could this even happen? I just don't believe it. Like, it's been too long. I've been, I've no answered prayer for decades. I am too old. Whereas her question, I would argue based on the angel's answer is more of this. Wow, how is this gonna take place? I don't doubt that it's going to, but I'm a virgin. Like, how are you going to do this? And here's the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And then he gives her a sign, like not just an answer to the question. So you know this angel is not offended by her question. He also gives her a sign. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And by the way, read in old age. It was impossible. And this is the sixth month of her who was called barren. And now you get verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. She gets a sign. And if you kind of track Mary's response, and we're not gonna get to this part, but if you were to track Mary's response, you will see her, she is confused and trying to figure things out. Then she's like, wow, how is this gonna happen? And then we're gonna get to what we're gonna talk about for the rest of our sermon, her last line. But even her last line is somewhat of a, I'm resigned to this, but then she'll go and visit Elizabeth. And she will know she is six months pregnant. God is doing this thing. That sign the angel gave her, she'll see it, and that's the point where you get the Magnificat. You get her sinking in joy because God is faithful. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, and Mary said, and this is where I want to focus. I want to argue that there are at least two things with Mary that could have brought great anxiety to her, and instead she finds peace. That would have caused her, I mean, and all of us will be able to relate, not because, and I can say this with the utmost confidence, not because a single person in this room as a virgin had an angel come to them and say, you will bear Messiah. However, what that entails, each of us will connect to it in certain ways. Here's the first part. Could have brought Mary great anxiety. It is a question of her identity. She is a poor, uneducated peasant in a basically unknown village that at one other part in the Gospel of John, Nathaniel will say, what good can come from Nazareth? Because nobody expects anything to come out of Nazareth. This is hick town. This is like not the place where prophets or messiahs or anybody come from. And so when the angel shows up, Mary's first response is confusion. It's, why would you show up here for me? I don't have the qualifications. I'm not the person that angels should be coming to. I'm not the person that should be given something from God to do because I don't have what it takes. There's other people far more qualified to do these things. It's a question of identity. Let me ask you, have you ever felt inadequate to do something? Have you ever felt like God may have wanted you to do something, but maybe you failed at it in the past? Maybe you just don't feel like you have the strength? Maybe you look at yourself and you go, there are people that could do this far better than I could. I don't know why I should be doing this. And it raises anxiety in you because you're like, how? How is this gonna work? How am I gonna be able to do this? How can I pull this off? How bad's it gonna get? You have all of these questions that are related to 
I don't think I am enough. Here's my first statement. Peace comes from identifying ourselves with God first. This is what Mary does. Notice her response, verse 38. The first half is this. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Now, this is not a what statement. It's a who statement. And this is the difference. A what statement says what I do. A who statement says who I am. And they're not the same. I can say things like, I read books. I go to church. I play football. I don't, but I'd like to. It's just I would get beat up too much. Those are what statements. They're saying things that I do. But when I say something like this, I am a father. I am a priest. I am a husband. These are who statements. They're defining something about me. It's an identity. When Mary says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She can go over here and she can go, I am uneducated, I am poor, I am female, I am from Nazareth, I am, I mean, just there are so many reasons in that culture, in that time, in that place, that she is absolutely unqualified. And here's the thing you need to grapple with. Most of us are actually unqualified for many of the things God is asking from us. However, she can dwell on the, I'm not this, or... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. If the Lord has called me to this, I'm his servant. I can do far more than you can ask or imagine if he is the one working in me. That's where she's identifying herself. Right? This is a who statement, not a what statement. What is your who statement? How do you define yourself? Right, every year, I told you this last week, and I'm going to tell you this next week and the week after that because it's Advent and I get to do this. Every year we watch Christmas movies. And we watch the same ones. I think this year we actually watched one new one, and I don't know that it was worth watching. We probably won't watch it next year. But we watch the same movies because they're awesome. And my favorite movie every year is the same one, Charlie Brown Christmas. It's my favorite holiday movie. It just has so much packed into it. And there is a part in there that I noticed this, coming, this last week as we were watching it that so much speaks to this. Charlie Brown is the director and he goes to get a tree and Lucy says get one of those giant pink aluminum trees. And so Charlie Brown takes off, and he's got Linus with him, and they go to this tree farm, and it's a total satire on commercialization. Because you walk into this tree farm, and every tree in there is this beautiful aluminum tree. They're big and perfect, and all these colors, and shiny, and, and then right in the middle, and of course Charlie Brown finds it, is this one real tree. 
and it could not look more pathetic. Not just because of the aluminum trees around it, it's just pathetic. And when he picks it up, like half the needles fall off. It's a little tiny tree. And he's like, oh, this one, this is the one. And Linus is like, I don't think that's the one. <laughs> Lucy said something about any other tree in the garden. Oh, wait, that sounds like Genesis. No, but that's the one, except this is the right one. And he takes this tree, and he brings it back, and here are the responses that he gets when he brings this tree in. These are responses I'm not even sure you could put on television today. Boy, are you stupid, Charlie Brown. I told you he'd goof it up. He isn't the kind you can depend on for anything. You're hopeless, Charlie Brown. You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time, you really did it. And he just wilts. But eventually, he takes that little tree, and he goes back, and he, and he sees that his dog has bought into all the commercialization, and the doghouse is like completely decorated and wins first prize. And he goes and he gets one ornament. He says, I can make this tree look good. And he sets that one ornament on the tree, and it just tucks the whole tree down. And he goes, I've killed it. <laughs> and then he walks away. And here come all of his friends, and they're looking at the tree. It's not such a bad tree. And they begin to pull all the stuff off, and they decorate this tree. And they make this tree into, listen to this, they make the tree into what Charlie Brown always saw in the tree. They make it into what it was possible for that tree to be. That is exactly what God does with us. We are that little tree. And, and most of us, I mean, we know this, it's part of our struggle. We know ourselves better than anybody else. We're the ones that have to look in the mirror every day. We know all of our weaknesses, all of our fears, all of our insecurities. We know that other people look at us and they're like, oh, you got it all together. And we're like, no, we don't. We do not have it all together because we are that tree. And yet God is looking at us saying, the possibilities of your life are so much more if you will let me work in your life. I'm asking you to say, as Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Because then you open yourself to his work and what he sees in you and what is possible in you because of the Lord. But there's a second thing for Mary. And, and we need to understand that for her to do what she's doing, it will cost her. How many of you, when you are offered certain possibilities, you have the ability to see every negative outcome from that offer? You are able to go through your mind and go, oh, but this could happen and that could happen and what about this and this is gonna be awful and you, you got it down. Hey, picture Mary for a minute. If she has this child, she will be a social outcast she would very likely lose her husband, and she almost does. Well, we will look at that account. She almost loses Joseph. She would likely never get married. At best, she would be homeless. If the child did survive, he would be stigmatized. Her life would be awful 
the ramifications to accepting what the Lord is giving to her would ruin and devastate her life. And you can imagine her going through, oh my goodness, what would this mean? And yet, this is what she says. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, here's my question for all of us. What is it that God has called you to that is bringing you down, that maybe is devastating you, that maybe you're thinking, if I ever completely release myself to this, I risk something. I really risk something. Maybe this is an opportunity for a particular job or a thing in your life. Maybe it's a particular relationship that you have, or maybe it's multiple ones. Maybe it's a way of, of raising your kids. Maybe it is a way of life, an entire way of life that you know you have been holding on to things and not really letting it go because you understand that if I let this go, I risk something. Maybe I risk what others will think. Maybe I risk failure. Maybe I risk hurt in myself. But you know there's a risk. And so what do you have right now? Anxiety. Because you're holding on to something. Mary's response is to this. Peace will come when you completely surrender yourself to God. Because you have two options in life. You may hold your burdens or you may give God your burdens. You can trust yourself in all of your decisions and all the things you need to do and the way you want to live and the things you need to give up or sacrifice or you can trust God and you can do this. God, you want me to do this? All right, I'm gonna do it, but I'm giving it to you. You're responsible for this because I'm following your will. You're responsible for the ramifications. I'm handing it over. What I can do is I can walk faithfully, and this is exactly what we're gonna see in this little girl. She's gonna go, I surrender it instead of trying to control it. And I would argue it's not just a blind like, oh, this is easy, God, yeah, no, whatever, whatever you want, I'm good. Because she truly is risking something. And so I bring it back. What right now is God asking you to do? And it may be more than one thing for many of us. What is he asking of you that will be a risk? But he's saying, if you want peace, turn it over to me. Give it, surrender to me. I'm asking you to do something. Surrender to me that you might know peace. And I wanna show you kind of a, I'll give you an image of what it looks like. Um, when Kenan was young, he had a lot of Thomas the Trains. Like we had, I think we ended up with like two boxes of these things. In fact, I think we ended up mixing, which made it hard because like tracks didn't fit together because there were more than one type of set. Not all the trains fit together. But we'd build these trains, we'd hook them together, and they weren't electronic, so you had to move them around the tracks. And we'd move them around the tracks. And my son would constantly do this. We'd put a few trains together, and he'd grab the back train, and he'd start pushing along the track. And you know what would happen? He'd push a little too hard, we hit a little turn, and they'd all kind of crunch up together, right? And he'd go, buddy, how do you do this? 
grab the front train. If you'll pull by the front, the rest of them just follow. I mean, they'll go where you take them. Just pull by the front. You'll get all the way around that track. You'll go up the hill and down the hill and around the corner and everything. And so we'd start that way. And then he'd jump back to it again. He'd grab the back and he'd start pushing his trains. Boom, they'd all fall off the track again. Like, look, that lead train, it is the lead train. And it will always be the lead train. And if you want things to stay on the track, you have to let that lead train lead. You've got to let it pull. Otherwise, you're probably going to fall off the track. And you all know exactly what I'm getting at. God is leading. The question is, how hard are you pushing from the back? How much are you trying to control? How much are you trying to insert your will and your desires onto these things instead of saying, all right, God, this is what you're asking. I'm going to follow. I'm going to let you pull, and I'm going to follow where you're going. Peace comes when we identify ourselves with God. I am the servant of the Lord. And peace comes when we surrender fully to God instead of trying to control. Because once we do those things, it's no longer about our inadequacies. All those things, it's no longer about how many times I've failed in the past. It's no longer about how big the mountain is. It's about going, all right, God, I'm looking to you. I know I don't have all the skills. I know I'm risking something right now, but I'm looking to you. There's an old story of a king who went into the village streets to greet his subjects. A beggar sitting by the roadside was eager, and he held up his alms bowl. He was sure that the king would give something great in there. And instead, when the king got to the beggar, he asked the beggar to give him something. Taken back a little bit, the beggar reached into his bowl, fiddled around, and he found three small grains of rice. And he dropped them into the king's outstretched hands. At the end of the day, the beggar poured out what he had received from his bowl, And he found to his astonishment three grains of pure gold at the bottom of the bowl. Oh, that I had given him all. We have this life. We have what God has given us. Will we trust him with all of it and see what he might do with what we trust him with? And in doing so, no peace that we will never know when we are holding on to all of it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Lord, I know that every person in this room is going through something. Things that would challenge our abilities, our inadequacies, things that we would risk if we step into it, things that we just don't even want, but we want to be faithful to you. And so, God, I'm asking now by the power of your Holy Spirit 
that you would give each one of us the supernatural strength to embrace our identity as the children of God first, as servants of the Lord, and you would give us the ability to surrender to you those things that we are still holding on to, that we might know a different kind of peace and we might serve you wholeheartedly and become what you see in us already. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.